Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. I feel like I should, I feel like I should say, won't you be my neighbor? My name's Danny, and I'm your neighbor. It's good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to Hope. I'm so excited to be here and hang out with you guys today um, as we continue this series, The Art of Neighboring. What a cool series, huh? I think it's so timely, too, for us that we think about these questions about who is our neighbor as we talk today. Um, my wife and I are in the process of moving, and our, uh, we moved into a little bit of a nicer house, and the kitchen is nicer than anything we've ever been, and uh, one of our friends that was helping us move, his daughter was with him, and she walks into the kitchen, she goes, oh my gosh, dad, this house is way too fancy for them. They're going to have to dress up. Isn't that great? Have you ever had somebody treat you differently because of the group you're in or how you look? One of the things I love about Santa Cruz County, to me, is this, is that like you can show up at the coffee shop looking like whatever, and you truly can't judge the book by the cover, can you? Especially here. Like, there are people that I surf with that I know that look like they live outside. The car they drive looks like they live outside, yet they have millions of dollars, and, and vice versa, right? We have a very interesting dynamic here in this community where you really can't judge the book by its cover. But maybe you've experienced this where, where you tell somebody something or they find out something about you and they just totally flinch. You know what I'm talking about? Like when I told Joe Gruber, my friend, that my wife was, and I were going to go on a, a, a vegan diet over three years ago, it was like, it was like I told him I was going to ride rollerblades or something. You know what I mean? Just, if you don't know, skateboarders and rollerblades have, a, have a, had a long-lasting rivalry. And it's kind of like, I was a kid, um, when I was a kid, I had a t-shirt that said, friends don't let friends ride rollerblades, you know what I'm saying? So, no offense if you ride rollerblades, but there's like, there's like different groups like that, right? Maybe, maybe you have like the Dodger fans versus the Giants fans, right? I think Justin lost a bet last week and had to wear the Giants hat. Um, or we have... You know, the different groups like that, right, in, in our society. Remember back in high school, there was like the, the jocks, and there was the cool kids, and then the surfer skater kids, and they had the scene kids who were into music, and I just did different groups, right? Or, or even just different schools. You got the public school groups, and then the private school groups, and then the homeschool groups, right? Uh, you got the Apple phone, iPhone users versus the Google phone users. Don't you hate the iPhone people like me where, like, you send a group text, and we like and heart everything, and it just goes to everybody. You're like, I hate those iPhone people. <laughs> I hope you don't. But but let's let's break it down to like a, a real a real factor here, right? Like who you know we in this day and age, like we're we're really divided in the world we live in today, are we not? You got conservatives and liberals, mask and no mask, vax and no mask, vax whatever. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional, these things are above my pay grade, but as a pastor, my heart is for people 
especially in the church, that we love each other, right? And what you see is people not loving each other. We see people more divided than ever in the world we live in, where instead of seeing a person, we see their opinion over their head. We see their, their political stripe before we see them as a person, right? And, and it's, in, in ways, you can flinch when you talk to a person. I remember talking with a person that said, I can't go to a church with somebody that is of that political view. Is it getting real now? We're getting real, right? This is real life right now. We're in this world, and it's so divided. And I love what my friend, um, he asked this question, a guy named John Burgess. He's a pastor down south. He says, are you letting the headlines define your lines? Right? Are we letting the headlines or social media define things about people that are, are in our life or not, or about the boundaries of our life? Or are we allowing the word of God to transform us, to live our life in a way that, that is defined by the Lord? Does that make sense? Are we letting God define our lines or are we letting the headlines define our lines? And what happens, because what happens is when we, when we allow these things to happen, when we allow us, our, ourselves to be part of one group and then part of another group, or, or, or they're part of a group that, that maybe we don't associate with, or this is a person that we do associate with, what happens is we, we create these lines. And then the lines dictate how we see people. And so that we're having a conversation, and someone's telling us something, and we flinch. I remember the first time I told Joe Gruber that I was going to go vegan. It was, like, it was like as if, like literally, I could have came out of the closet with a lot of different things. Other than that, he would have been accepting and loving. But that was the one thing he was like, it was like as if I basically died. When I told him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat, which I'm not a very good vegan anyways. I, I'm a fisherman. My wife calls me a chigan because I cheat all the time. But, <laughs> you know, it was literally as if, as if I was telling him that I, was, that I, that I, I had died and that I, had, I, was, I was someone else impersonating Danny. You know, I, I can joke about Joe because we have fun, and, you know, we, I go to Portland, and he, he tries to tempt me, right? I'm in Portland, which is like vegan paradise, and he's there, and we're eating together, and I, I get the veggie burger, and he orders a side of bacon and puts it right in front of me and says, that's for you. I'll give you $10 if you eat that. So now I get bacon and $10? How we see others determines how we will treat them. That's why Jesus talked a lot about this subject. And he, he talks about this, this neighboring concept as we're talking about who is my neighbor uh, in this series, The Art of Neighboring, right? The great commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Isn't that interesting that Jesus snuck in the word neighbor into like this ultimate mega commandment? that is like the whole Bible summed up into one thing. We focus a lot in church on like how do we love God, right? We want to keep doing that. That's why we sing songs every week. It's like to, to God, about God. We want to love God. But like, and we talk about loving people, but we don't, we don't really talk about this neighbor thing very often, right? But it's so profound. And so I want to take a look at the scripture. What does God say? Instead of looking at what the internet says, let's look at what God says about our neighbor. Who is my neighbor? This is from 
Luke chapter 10. You guys want to turn there with your Bibles. We're going to have it on the screens too. And it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. I love Jesus taught with questions and stories. Isn't that interesting? He told powerful, he asked powerful questions, and he told powerful stories, and he didn't always give people the answer. He kind of just would like drop it and just like mess with you and then like, okay, think about that. It's interesting. Um, I think sometimes as Christians, we feel like we have to have all the answers for people. And sometimes the most profound thing we can do is ask questions and tell stories. So look at what Jesus says. So he says, this guy is trying to, a lot of people are trying to question Jesus. They're trying to trying to trip him up. And so this expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus asked. He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. So this is like flipped on its head because last time we read the scripture and, and Tim did such a great job kicking off the series, right, about Jesus saying, this is the great commandment, basically. So this is another situation where this religious leader is trying to test Jesus, and Jesus is, how do you read it? So then he's saying, so this guy is quoting the scripture now, and Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked. This was like a really windy, long road, and, you know, you didn't really want to go on this road at night. You know what I'm saying? There was robbers there. It was, it was a dangerous trip, dangerous journey um, going through there. And it says that this man was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Okay, the priest, just so you guys know, he actually has a little bit of an out here because the priest was called to do, serve duties in the temple, and if you were to touch something or someone that was dead, you couldn't go serve in the temple. You had to wait like a period, and you had to do all these rituals and be clean, and then, then you could go. You couldn't be unclean and go serve in the temple. So people would have been like, okay, I get that. However, the fact that the, the, the priest was going down to Jer Jericho from Jerusalem, it means that he just got off work, right? So he wasn't go, actually going to the temple. He, he, was, he was going home. He, he was going home for vacation. Like, he, he was away from duty, so he could have stopped. But it says that he walks on the other side. So two, a Levite, these were the people that served in the temple. They weren't the priests, but they were, they were um, you know, like the people heading up our, our teams here at Hope, right? They're like, they were like on the serving team at the church. And so a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And, and any, any good Jewish person would have thought of these as like the pious leaders in the church, right? Um, the Tims and the, the Chrises, right? These are like, these are the guys that are leading uh, in the ministry and um, 
And instead of stopping to help this poor man, they pass by, they both pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Expensive commodities in that day, right? Especially if you were traveling, you would only have so much. You know, you got your little canteen of wine. Do I really want to pour this on this guy? Is he dead? Is he alive? I don't know. Right? There's a lot of things going on here. We're going to talk about the Samaritan in a moment here, but look at what he does. Let me just think about this. Like he, he doesn't just, he doesn't just like offer him a band-aid. You know what I'm saying? Like I, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you ever hear the phrase like it's the least I could do? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, thank you for helping me. It's the least I could do. You know, and, and it's funny that we say that because it's like, do, are you really doing the least you can do? Sometimes we are, right? We live in a world where it's like we kind of sometimes do, like I remember going to school and it's like whatever the teacher asked me to do, I'm going to do the least I can do. Thank you. That's the least I could do. You're welcome. Was that bad? I just want to get an A or a B, but I want to do the least I can do. But sometimes we translate that into, sorry, if there's students in the room, you got to, you got to, you got to, you know, you got to do good in school, okay? I'm not trying to tell you not to. But sometimes when you're in college, they give you like 12 books you have to read, and like you literally have to do the least you can do because you're not going to survive if you try to read everything. Right? You got you to figure out what, you, it's a game. You got to figure out what to do. That's a whole other story. I'm going off track. Okay, back to the sermon. Are we doing the least? But look at, well, he doesn't do the least he could do. He does the most he could do. He pours out his oil. He pours out his wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey. That means now instead of cruising, he's walking, you know, he's getting dirty, he's walking, and he's, he's got this man who, you know, he's, he may or may not even make it. And he's got him on his own donkey. They're cruising. He brought him to an inn, right? Took him to the Fairfield Marriott. Gave him the credit card. I mean, think about that. That's what he did. Like, he, he brought him in there. And he, and he, and he paid. It says, it says that he says, uh, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked a powerful question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, uh, in, in, the, in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What a powerful story. What's happening here? You got the traveler, this poor guy, right? Just showed up to Santa Cruz, thought it'd be fun to go surfing. He gets beat up by the crowd. He, he hits his board on a rock and dings his board, smacks his face, gets pulled out by the local firefighters. Right? Now, I mean, th this guy gets beat up. He's on this road that was known as the Red or Bloody Way. Right? There's a name that they used to call 17. What'd they call it? Blood Alley, right? So, like, this guy's going through Blood Alley. He gets beat up left for dead, and then we have the travelers. 
coming through. We have the, the, the bad neighbors, right? We've got the priest. We've got the Levi, Levite. Why are they not stopping? It's not convenient, maybe. Or maybe they're thinking it's going to be, if I go and I touch this person and they die, then I'm going to have to go through all this hassle, right? I'm going to have to quarantine or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to have to go through this whole thing. Um, and it's not convenient. Maybe because of their religious views um, and their law. Maybe they were just so focused on where they were going that they, it, it just wasn't even a thought to stop. And then you have the Samaritan who is honest, who stops, who has compassion, who doesn't just do the least he can do, but he does the most that he can do to help. Like, whatever I can do to help you. And I love how Jesus tells the story because I don't think we can truly appreciate the controversy of the story today. What you have to understand is the history here is that the Samaritan people came out of the Jewish people. During the, when the Assyrians came and, and took over, they, and, and they basically, they, 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 were, they, they, they had children with the Assyrians and the Jews, and so they became half-breeds, and they believed differently. They, had, they thought that you worship God on this other mountain, and the Jews believed that you worship God on this other mountain, so they had different beliefs. Right? They had different views. And so it was okay to hate them. It was okay to call them dogs. Because of the culture that they grew up in. And so Jesus, like if he wanted to mess with them, he could have just said, the guy on the side of the road was Samaritan. Which one had pity on him? But it's interesting to me. Did you think about that? Why did Jesus not do it that way. Instead of just using the Samaritan as the guy on the side of the road, he actually uses him as the hero of the story. This would truly make a first century Jewish person cringe. It'd be like the equivalent of telling a story in the Jim Crow South of a black man being the hero in the story, right? Not just the one that's a recipient of mercy, but the one who's giving mercy. And so Jesus is telling this story to hit hard on our prejudices, on our biases, on our hard no's. Who's your hard no, people? Who makes you flinch? I believe that God has called us to be a people that don't flinch, that we look in someone's eyes, that we see them as a dearly loved child of God. Because the reality is the reason why we flinch is because we don't see them as that. We see them somewhere below that. And that's why God wants us to see others through his eyes. You think about when Jesus, I was reading this story a couple weeks ago, when Jesus got down on his knees to wash the disciples' feet. And one of the things I realized when I was reading this story was the, how profound it is that he got down at that level to see eye to eye. You can't serve somebody if you're looking down on them, and you can't serve somebody if you're looking up to them. And that's why Jesus didn't just tell the story about the Samaritan in the ditch. 
he told the story about the Samaritan rescuing the guy in the ditch because he wanted them to see eye to eye with Samaritans as dearly loved children of God, even though they had different beliefs, even though they had different practices and different views. The big idea here today is that loving like Jesus starts with seeing others like Jesus. Man, I'm going to tell you a story about in my own life when I had an experience with this. I'm a youth pastor. Uh, Jenny and I came to Northern California. We thought anything north of Santa Barbara was like Alaska, growing up in Southern California. And then God called us to come up to the Bay Area to be youth pastors in the East Bay, Danville, San Ramon area, very beautiful suburb of San Francisco Bay Area. A lot of like the, like the, the high roller business owners live in that zone. It's super nice. Like everyone's got a killer lawn and like a dope car, you know what I mean? Like they don't have the ocean, so like, like they, gotta, they gotta like make their house cool, you know what I mean? And it's all about that, right? It's all about, like, check out what I got, you know what I'm saying? And, like, we were, like, newly married, didn't have two pennies to rub together, you know? Like, I'm driving this old beater truck, you know what I'm saying? And it's, like, I'm rolling through Danville, which is pretty bougie. Like, it's bougie, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, like, Gucci town. And nothing wrong with that. Um, to my... We were there for six years, and the first two years were really hard. It was hard to connect. We didn't feel like people embraced us in the community. Like, didn't feel like we fit in. You know, so we were always driving to Santa Cruz to kind of just like, ah, feels like home, you know. And we're, we're but, but the thing about it was, um, one day, I'm driving up Camino Tassajara in Danville, right near Blackhawk. If you guys know the zone there, this is like the Holy of Holies, Blackhawk. It's like a gated community. Like, the when the Raiders used to live there, they were, you know, 49ers, like, um, super wealthy. E-40 was living in there. Um, back, you guys know, back in the day, um, E-40, his kids went to our youth group. And uh, so we were balling. And, uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, it was like, I'm, like, driving my, like, hoopty little truck. I called it El Trek A. It was, like, a 1993 Toyota truck that I bought for $4,000. And then I drove it for like 10 years, beat, beat it the living daylights out of it, and then sold it for 3,500, you know? Um, <laughs> like, that's my gift in life, I don't know. But um, this old beater truck, and I'm cruising up Danville, and it was like, I'm, I'm driving, and I'm surrounded by like Bentley, Porsche, Lotus to my rear, like killer Mercedes, like not just like a Mercedes, but like the 8,500 brand, or whatever, you know, like the super... What do they call like the G-Wagon, you know what I'm talking about? The G-Wagon is in front of me. I got the G-Wagon, and I'm just like cruising, and it was like, I had that moment of like, it was like a little bit of jealousy, and just like a little chip on my shoulder. Like, ah, all these rich people, you know what I'm saying? And God's like, see, you don't love them. Oh. And I had that moment in my, my, my heart where I realized that I, I saw the people in my community as people that didn't, didn't need me, that didn't need God. And in order for me to minister to them, 
I had to love him. And in that moment, I, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, will you change my heart? Help me to love the people in my community. It's funny because you usually think about it the other way around, right? Like you go into like a, a poor neighborhood in Tijuana or something, and like, God, oh, give me your heart for the people. But it's like here I am in this community that's super self-sufficient, super wealthy, super nice homes, and it was like I didn't see it coming. That God had to work in my heart to, I don't know what it was, I don't know why, but I didn't see, I couldn't see people as he did. And from that moment forward, it was like it became invincible. Like I, I'm telling you, sometimes you, sometimes you pray for stuff and it's like years and you're like, Lord, when are you going to answer this prayer? But sometimes you pray a prayer and God's just like, yes. And that was that moment where I asked God to change my heart and he did. And I began to see people not as, Poor, wealthy, whatever, A's fans, Giants fans, Dodger fans. I just saw them as people who needed the love of God. And how many of you guys know, like, money doesn't solve anything. In fact, it just accelerates our brokenness a lot of times. You know what I mean? I was dealing with kids in the youth group who had more depression, more anxiety, more expensive drugs, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the brokenness level was even another notch up because of having the, those resources because it doesn't fix what's in our soul. And so God began to give me compassion and a heart for people regardless of where they're coming from. And I'm not perfect at that, but like it was cool to see God actually change my heart and it became the next four years we were there were so sweet. It was so good, and we began to build all these cool friendships and relationships, and some of which would help us when we planted a church in Santa Cruz called Hope, right? Those were the, the people that ended up supporting us and coming down and encouraging us and building us up and, and just coming around our family. Some of the greatest blessings was because we opened our heart. And so I'm sharing that today to say, who's your hard no? Maybe it'll surprise you like me. Who are the people that you have a hard time seeing the way Jesus does, because I guarantee they're the same people you have a hard time treating the way Jesus does. One of the things we say here at Hope is don't flinch, right? We want to be a church where people can belong before they believe all the right things and behave all the right ways. How many of you guys, amen? Thank God, just so I can come to church. No purview allowed. And so we say that, but, but the reality is if you flinch, if someone comes up on a Sunday morning and they're like, yeah, blah, 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 and you're like, you did what last night? You know what I mean? Somewhere along the lines, like Christianity decided that it's our job to be the moral police and to t make people feel guilty and judged. Where did that come from? I mean, yes, there is truth, but you have to build a bridge of influence to bear the weight of truth. We have to build a relationship, and if you flinch, it's going to break down that bridge and you're not going to be able to deliver the truth that that person needs to hear. Amen? God loves you. Like, come as you are, no proof you allow, but God loves us too much to leave us that way. But the way that he speaks that truth into our life is he builds that trust with us. And so that's what we want to do. Um, but we want to ask that question today, you and me. Who is our neighbor? Who are the ones that you see? Right? That's, that's, that's what defined his neighbor. Who, who was the one that um, 
how, how did Jesus define the neighbor? It was the person in need, right? The guy in the ditch. He was the person we see and the person that is in need. Who are the people that you see? Who are the people that are in need around you? I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be so overwhelming too when you think about this whole, who is my neighbor? And then now we're in this global community and you see things happening in Afghanistan and things happening in, you know, in Haiti and like, what's going on? How do, I, how do I help all these needs, right? And I think that sometimes we have to just get back to the simplicity of just love every person I send to you. God will make it clear. You can't, you can't be the savior of the world. You can't help the whole world. But you can love the person that God sends to you. And for this Samaritan, it was the guy on the side of the road. You know, this morning, right on the way here, I, I, I'm in the middle of moving, so I went for the second round of coffee from Verb today. And uh, I'm, I'm going into Verb, and, you know, one of our outside friends was there. And I know this person, and we're friends, but, like, this person tends to talk a lot. You know what I mean? It's like, a, you know, I didn't have time for, like, an hour conversation. And I was going to, like, put my mask on and go around my car this way. You know what I mean? I had that, like, little temptation. And God's like, no, go, go buy her a cho- hot chocolate because I know it's what she likes. So I walked by, and I said, hello, how are you? Can I buy you anything from Verb? You know, whatever. It's that little moment that we have where are, we're tempted to just walk the other way. And I had that temptation this morning, and I'm giving a sermon about it, so I better... <laughs> Just kidding. I hope, I hope that's not why I'm doing it, right? But I, it's not. My heart is I want to I wanna walk. Instead of walking around the car, I want to walk towards the need. The person that I see, the person that's in need. So I can share the love of Christ. Because how many of you guys know we don't see ourselves the way God does? Right? We suck at that. We look in the mirror and we judge ourselves all day long. But when we as the people of Jesus, the Jesus followers in the world, when we start to see people as dearly loved children of God, regardless of how well they can surf, whether they ride rollerblades or vegan or bacon or whatever, whatever their political stripe is or however they feel. Like, I mean, it's easy right now. Like, you know, we can, we can kind of categorize people and then just judge them as a blanket group, right? Which is what happens with Christians a lot, right? We get kind of judged as a group but who cares? Let's break the mold. Let's show the world who Jesus really is. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus makes it super simple. If I was the guy in the ditch, what would I want someone to do for me? And I don't we we got to be careful, too. We don't want to enable people. We don't want to go to the other side where we're doing things for people that they should be doing for themselves, right? Okay, so we got to be careful of that. But what would we really want someone to do for us? Sometimes that means buying them a cocoa. Sometimes it means not buying them a cocoa, but giving them a, an encouraging word. Whatever, whatever that looks like. What does it look like for you? Who are the people that you have a hard time treating the way Jesus does? And how would God begin to change your heart for who they are? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at 
info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831 800 Thanks again for tuning in.